With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. Joining you tonight, as always, you have Mr. Mark Daly of Vancouver, British Columbia, and you have Mr. Mark Hamilton, also conveniently of Vancouver, British Columbia. We are joining you here on Monday, May the 10th, and we have just sat through. I shouldn't say sat through because that implies that it was boring, and it definitely wasn't boring, but we've just witnessed the fourth Grand Prix of the season, and quite frankly, it was an absolute, and I'm Excited to hear your opinion because you and I haven't talked about this, but in many ways, it was an absolute Lewis Hamilton masterclass. And despite the fact that he wasn't able to hold on and pick up a win, I also just can't fault Max Verstappen for his performance today. It was an absolute masterclass of two of the best in the world going toe-to-toe, and at the end of the day, it was pace and it was strategy that helped Mercedes bring home this race victory. And again, like I said, you and I haven't spoken about this, but I'm super eager to hear your thoughts. You know, we just did did, uh, sort of like a student-led conference at my daughter's school this week, so I was just thinking, you know, I wanted to pull out the red pen and do some report cards. So I was thinking about it before we came into the studio to sit down to do the show tonight. I was thinking, okay, drivers, I'm giving Lewis an A+, I'm giving Max an A+. The difference today was on the pit wall. Mercedes, brilliant call to stop Lewis early and switch him on to a fresh set of tires. And um, Red Bull, they made that gamble to keep Max out there. Ultimately, it was the wrong call because Lewis was literally taking 18 seconds a lap out of him at one point. It was uh, it was amazing. And it really was just, uh, it, it was a stark uh, example of uh, just how important strategy is and how uh, Red Bull decided to try and, and just try and eke out those tires as long as they could. And Mercedes obviously going in for those uh, fresh sets uh, or slightly scrub set of uh, medium tires What was the right call because the pace that Lewis had was absolutely staggering. If anything, I give maybe a slight edge to Lewis in the driver rating because he didn't have it completely easy. Okay, he had some back markers, but he had to overtake his teammate for position, which I think is something that we should uh, probably talk about. But, you know, it just adds fuel to the fire for the championship. And I think it's, uh, you know, just absolutely, uh, uh, you know, I I think now if you're a fan of Lewis Hamilton, you're like, okay, the gap's only 14 points. Lewis has got to put some more space between him and Max. You know, we got to get that that at least that one race win win in our pocket. Whereas maybe if you're a Max fan, maybe you're kind of getting, I wouldn't say like too concerned or too worried, but kind of okay this gap is 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 maybe getting a little bit uh, too big now but before we go further mark let's just run down the the top 10 uh, race classifications we had lewis in first max in second valtteri bottas in third which i think is a carbon copy of the last three podiums uh, from spain p4 was uh, charles leclerc which i think is maybe the most underrated or underrated or unnoticed drive of the day coming home fourth in the ferrari checo perez and can we talk about checo I, i think it's time we had this conversation uh p6 was 
Danny Ricardo and the first of the McLarens, which I think was finally a decent result uh, for the Australian. P7 was Carlos Sainz uh, and the second Ferrari, not a bad uh, result for him. Double uh, points finish for, for the Scuderia. Lando Norris, P8, Esteban Alcon and P9. I think another decent result uh, for Esteban in, uh, in obviously not the greatest car on the grid. And then Pierre Gasly, despite having a little bit of drama and uh, being uh, you know slapped with a five-second uh, time penalty uh, for the uh, lining up outside of his uh, starting box at the start there, uh, brought, uh, brought home the last point. And then just outside of the points, again, Lance Stroll, which was another disappointing outing for, for Aston Martin. So in the driver standings, uh, first is Lewis on 94 points. Max is second with uh, 80 points. Valtteri Bottas third in a distant 47 points. Uh, Lando Norris fourth with 41. And then Charles Leclerc sliding into fifth with 40 points. And then on the constructor's side, and this is where it's getting interesting, right? And that's why I say we need to talk about Checo Perez because uh, Mercedes 141 points to lead the constructors. Red Bull starting to lose a little bit of ground to the, the, the silver arrows uh red bull 112 points uh, mclaren still doing uh, pretty good uh, holding on to third in the constructors with 65 but uh, ferrari starting to catch up a little bit uh, they're now fourth with 60 and then alpine rounding out the top five albeit uh, you know quite a ways back in the rearview mirror they have uh, 15 points so, Mark, where do you want to go? There, there are a number of uh, talking points there, and I should just mention that I was, I was really stoked to watch this race, and I, uh, I decided to watch again on the F1 TV Pro app. However, there was some technical snafu. I turned it on to see exactly what, what I was not expecting. The final race classification, which completely spoiled it, to, which made me said, "Well, do I, do I need to sit through and watch this entire thing, or can I just go straight to YouTube and watch the official highlights?" But I'm glad I watched it. It's uh, you know, you look at it, and again, you might be thinking if you didn't see it, you may be like, huh, well, that's a bit of a, a boring carbon copy of the last couple of years. But the start, I thought, was fascinating because all credit to Max and Lewis. Max got the better start, and he really charged his way through, pushed his way through Lewis. Lewis backed off at precisely the right moment that he should do. And we need to point out that there were only mere inches between these two cars going into turn one. I... I absolutely agree with everything you said. I think the one thing that we should probably reference, because I think we're excited and we're emotional. We want to talk about what happened in the race, <laughs> but I just want to make sure that we're not necessarily negligent and we forget what happened on on Saturday. Uh, Lewis Hamilton took pole in qualifying. He yes. had an absolutely exceptional Q3. He was running in the 116s. He had unbelievable pace and grip. He was absolutely crushing every single corner. That was his 100th pole of his career. And to put this in context, the second the second driver in terms of most poles in a career is Michael Schumacher with, I believe, 68. So to put this into further context, I'm all about providing context, context, <laughs> context, context. Hamilton has taken pole in 37% of the race weekends that he's participated in. He has now also won 32%, sorry, actually 35% of all race weekends that he's competed in. So this is this unbelievable number that a third of every race weekend that Hamilton's competed in, he's won the title. And 37% of the race weekends that he's competed in, he's taken pole. And I think a lot of people look at that data and like, well, it's skewed because of his time with Mercedes and he wasn't that great with McLaren. Well, at McLaren, he had 110 race weekends. He still won 21 times or took 21% of the potential race victories when he was with McLaren. And in some of those years, that was a relatively 
underwhelming package that he yeah. was bringing to the race weekend every single year. So I just wanted to make sure we provided a little bit of context in terms of how we kind of tee up this race weekend. But I want to kind of revisit that point you made about Hamilton in turn one at the beginning of the race. Obviously, and, and Hamilton talked about this during the uh, the post-race interviews, it sounds like there was a little bit more rubber on the track on the side where Verstappen started, uh, potentially means he gets a little bit more grip. Hamilton was able to stay in front of him heading into T1. It's 600 meters from the front row down to that first corner. It was an absolute thrill over start. It was an absolute drag race. But I think ultimately Hamilton did absolutely the right thing. Verstappen came in, it was a clean overtake, it was hyper, hyper aggressive, but I'm strongly of the mind that Red Bull's entire race strategy was this. Spain's a difficult place to overtake. They've made some changes to the track that have complicated that and made it even more difficult to overtake. And I think their perspective was like, look, if we want to win this race, we have to take him in the first corner. And Max, you need to do anything and everything possible to make that happen. Max had a great start. He managed to pass Hamilton and he gets that clean air. I think that was ultimately what their strategy was. And I think from that point on, they were just depending on Max to be able to manage the tires, stay in the clean air and not make any mistakes. And Ultimately, he did everything that he needed to do to win this race. But I think Lewis ultimately did the right thing as well. I think he's confident in his team. He's confident in his strategy. He's confident in his own tire management. And he knew there were going to be opportunities to take Max. But And to your earlier point, they were inches apart. And if Hamilton had played that differently, possibly there's contact and maybe he doesn't finish the race. Or possibly there's contacts and he's in the pit. There's so many other things that could have happened. So for all those folks on the internet that were criticizing Hamilton for not being more aggressive in T1, he did absolutely the right thing, which was in that moment with the Red Bull absolutely bearing down on him. He he gave him space. He didn't let him pass. He gave him space. He made it difficult, but he didn't compromise his own risk by putting his car in a position where there was going to be contact with the Red Bull. So I think uh, I think in terms of setting up the race, I think that does a, a pretty good job of kind of setting up what was to come over the next 66 laps. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that just goes to prove like how smart of a driver that Lewis is realizing that right then and there, okay, this race is not going to be won or, or it's not going to be won in the first corner, but it definitely could be lost if I lose a piece of wing or damage my car and I have to go back to the pits over basically 80% of the first lap and end up at the back of the field, right? So that, uh, you know, I think that shows good awareness on, on his behalf, but it was great. It was good to see both of them uh, go into that good, hard, fair racing. And it was interesting to see how Max initially uh, pulled out a couple of seconds on him and then see Lewis uh, come back. But we didn't really see that blinding speed like we did last weekend in Portimao. Like when, when Lewis passed him at Portimao, I mean, it made him look like he was standing still. I mean, ultimately he did later in the race, but that was the difference between a guy who had uh, tires that were probably 30 laps old at the time compared to a guy that had uh, you know, fresh rubber. I, I'm not sure exactly how old Max's tires were, but it was interesting too. I think at one point, uh, you know, his race engineer gets on the radio and said, Max, you know, uh, Checo's picking up time in turn four and turn 10. And he's basically, well, what more do you want me to do? I'm trying to manage these tires. And you could tell that he was trying to work within the parameters that uh, that he was given. And he was literally at the limit of what he could do. And it's just like, well... Is this really going to help, uh, you know, if, if I'm picking up uh, may- maybe a tenth here and there when Lewis is picking up a second and a half every lap? You know, it's, you know, okay, all of a sudden he picks up two tenths, but Lewis still, you know, picks up 1.3 seconds over the course of a lap instead of 1.5. I guess maybe those little bits, uh, you know, 
matter because we're saying, well, the way that it's looking right now, he's going to catch you on the last lap. I mean, as it turned out in reality, I mean, he had many, many laps in his back pocket by the time he he passed or caught up to Max and passed him. It was uh, not really uh, too much he could do. And, and Max even said he felt like he was a sitting duck. Yeah. And it's interesting as well, when you hear Max in a lot of these post-race interviews, I think one of the things that I've really picked up on is his cadence and his inflection. And at no point do I sense a degree of frustration. And Max is one of those people that's very authentic and very transparent. But I think he's also resigned to the fact that through the first four races, with with a couple of minor missteps that he's made and a misstep in the pits today, which we'll probably talk about, I think he's ultimately satisfied with what he's delivered on track and what the team's yeah. provided to him. And there's this sense of, I, I, I'm trying to think of a way to put it without it sounding wrong, but he's not resigned, but I think he's ultimately satisfied and content with what they've done. But ultimately, like if you look at the driver standings right now, Hamilton is off to the best start of his career. He scored 94 points in four races. Max also off to the best start of his career, having scored 80 points in four races. Max is on pace to score 450 points this season, which in <laughs> any season would obliterate the field and take the title. He just so happens to be going up against Lewis Hamilton. And I think one of the things that could potentially make the season really compelling is obviously both of them are absolutely at the top of their game. And I know that sounds really cliche, but yeah. obviously they're both performing at, at an exceptional level. I think the one concern that I have is what you hinted at a couple of minutes ago, which is, hey, we're four races into the season right now. And that gap between Hamilton and Verstappen is starting to grow. But more critically, that gap between Mercedes and Red Bull is starting to grow. And what's going to make this a little bit more challenging potentially for Red Bull is we're now going into a couple of tracks in Monaco and Baku that are far more unpredictable than perhaps what we've seen so far. And Max has put together some really strong sectors at Monaco, but historically he's never been able to put together a great race weekend there. So from a Hamilton perspective, he's obviously had far more success there and he's been far more consistent. But I think the risk now for Red Bull is they've got to do some things over the course of the next couple of race weekends, which they haven't been able to do at those tracks before. For if they want to stay in this Constructors' Championship contention. Absolutely. Hey, Mark, it's time to take a quick uh, break here. When we come back, I want to talk about uh, what Lewis said he learned about uh, Max Verstappen this uh, weekend. We'll do so in a moment here as we take our first break. So don't go away. We'll be right back in just a moment. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
All right. Well, welcome back to the show. Hey, Mark, I, I loved how you gave you threw out all those stats there just before the first break. And I had to go back and look. And apparently, according to the latest poll, 87% of our listeners find stats uh, very helpful. So there you go. You're, you're doing a great job there. But no, I mean, <laughs> jo- <laughs> joking aside, I mean, it really is interesting when, when you put those numbers there, because it really gives you something tangible to, like you say, put, put some context and really get a feel for, for what all these numbers and what all these wins and what all these poll positions mean and how it can compares to other drivers uh, past and present. But sticking with uh, Lewis Hamilton, I thought it was interesting. One of the uh, the things that he said after the race was he learned more about Max Verstappen in the Spanish Grand Prix than all the other races that he's uh, competed against Max over the past uh, several years. So when he was uh, pushed a little bit further, uh, he answered, uh, well, when he's pushed a little bit further about what specifically he learned about Max, he replied, quote, uh, not particularly. No, it was just when you're with with people on track, you get to see different things and you follow closely. Obviously, I was following relatively closely. I learned a lot about his car and learned a lot about how he uses it. And so it was good race in that respect, end quote. So I, th- I think that, uh, you know, Lewis following Max for as long as he did and how we- we've seen that dynamic with both of them, you know, either leading the the other one respectively at different uh, times throughout the first four races of the year that Lewis is now in a bit of a unique position that he hasn't been in recently, where he has been, you know, both in front of and behind his rival, his main rival for significant portions of these races. And uh, like you said uh, a little bit earlier, both of these guys are at the top of their game right now. I mean, they're, you know, Max has made a couple of errors, but I mean, Lewis did too. I mean, he had that little adventure into the gravel in Imola. I mean, gave him maybe a bit of a pass there because it was a really greasy, difficult trap and he, or track. He wasn't the only one, but Still, I think that's an interesting admission that he gets a chance to sort of follow Max and and really get, uh, you know, a better sense of, uh, you know, Max's driving style and what he and his car is capable of. The other thing that I, and I don't disagree with any of the things that you just said, I think that's a really great observation in that Lewis has historically been so far in front of the pack over the course of the last seven years. I don't know how much he learns about the driving style and the racecraft and the attributes associated with the way some of these drivers attack in particular complex corners and things like that. I don't know how he necessarily learns other than by watching race footage afterwards because historically he's so far behind. So I think it's probably, and it's not something I've really thought about before, but it's likely very valuable for him to have the opportunity to learn about how Max approaches approaches a racetrack. And I think obviously to your point, when he spends considerable amounts of the race behind his principal competitor, he has the opportunity to see how he attacks corners, how he fights the apex, how he rotates the back end of that car and particularly tight corners. And he gets to learn about how he manages tire because these are all things that he can then process when he's trying to stay in front of Max potentially. The other thought that I had today, and I've never really seen or noticed this before, but I felt like the two of them are showing immense respect for each each other on the track you saw it in turn one when Verstappen got Hamilton on lap one but mm-hmm. you also saw it when Lewis ultimately got Max later in the track in the race right when Matt when Lewis ultimately had that victorious overtake that put him in a position to win the race Max didn't didn't blindly and unnecessarily fight back he didn't put him in a compromising position he didn't make a silly mistake he just rep- or recognized that Lewis was in a better position with superior tires and he was going to allow him to make a healthy competitive overtake without endangering either of their races like I I appreciate the respect that they're showing each other on the track but I also respect the 
the dialogue and the verbiage that you hear when they're speaking about each other off the track. Now, again, we're four <laughs> races into the season and there hasn't been a particularly emotional moment where there's been contact or a controversial yeah. overtake or anything like that. And all of this could change it. Maybe for the narrative of the season, the excitement and ratings, it would probably be a good thing. But I think I like what I've seen so far from both of them. And I think that Max is showing a degree of maturity that maybe we haven't necessarily seen before. And that might also just be part and parcel to the fact that he's ultimately satisfied for the first time with the car that Red Bull's presented him as a, a competitive weapon for the 2021 season. Yeah, you know, I was just uh, thinking as you were talking there, Mark, that uh, this is just another uh, rodeo for Lewis. I mean, he's been there, done that. I mean, he's got... Uh you know, all these millions of uh, records and world championships uh, to his name. And ultimately, I mean, we, we still have hopefully 19 races to go on this season. So there's a lot that uh, can still happen. And I was thinking a little bit earlier that regardless if uh, if Max wins this uh, season or Lewis wins, that uh, th- that this is something that Max will build on for his career. I mean, he's come so far since 2015, since he came into the sport with Taro Rosso and now fighting with Lewis on pretty much on an equal level. Um, to me, these first four races is just uh, this whole season. Let's put it that way. could be almost a finishing school for Max Verstappen. And can we just for a second, just remember as well that Max Verstappen is 23 years old. He's younger than some of the the rookies that have entered the sport over the past couple of years. And if you you look at his race history, he had 18, 19 Grand Prix in 2019. He raced 21 and 16, 20 and 17, 21 and 18 and 19 respectively. He put in the full calendar last year. Now he has been plagued, unfortunately, with... uh, reliability issues and relative to the rest of the sport he's had a disproportionately high number of retirements but he's entered an immense number of grand prix for somebody his age and i just yeah. i think the risk sometimes is because this is his sixth full season in formula one we feel like he's a 30 year old driver and that he's absolutely a veteran and in so many ways he is absolutely a veteran of the sport but he's still only 23 years old he's such a young driver and just the maturity that he's showing and the racecraft and i, I think you and I obviously know this and we've spoken so much about it, but he won his first race in a Red Bull going back to Spain in 2016. 2016. This, this is a kid that has an unbelievable and immense amount of talent. But I think sometimes we just need to remind ourselves that he is a 23-year-old kid who's in his sixth full season in Formula One, which is just remarkable. Oh, it, it is absolutely amazing. I mean, you look at all the other young drivers around them. And uh, I mean, like you say, I mean, I, I still feel like Charles Leclerc just came into Formula One like last year, you know, it, it seemed. And, but I mean, Charles has been around for several years himself already, you know, and it, it's really kind of funny that when, when you compare Max to some of his contemporaries that are very close in age to him, that he feels like he's been around that much longer. But I was also thinking recently, too, that he must have been, you know, pretty happy with the decision that he made to ultimately sort of funnel into the Red Bull program, because I remember in that time frame, there was some talk that Total Wolf was trying to sort of pull him into maybe a reserve driver role at, uh, at Mercedes, which that might have worked out. But I mean, Max clearly was ready to race right from the moment that he stepped into that cockpit of that Toro Rosso back in 2015. That Leclerc comparison is a really great one. And to put this into context, Leclerc's 23, so the same age, basically the exact same age as Verstappen. When uh, Charles Leclerc competed in his first Grand Prix in 2018, Max had already completed three full seasons <laughs> at the Formula One level, which is absolutely crazy. And you're That's right, just from a strategy perspective, I think sometimes it can be, it can be blinding when Toto and Mercedes approaches you 
with an opportunity to be a part of that team. But I think it was that that whole sense of trust in yourself and trust your abilities. And not to mention the fact that Red Bull had invested so much in Max's career. And obviously they'd integrated his dad into the journey of bringing him along. And they ultimately also had a B team, right? Which is something that Mercedes hasn't officially had. And I think... We can see it today that they've been able to take some of their their driver assets and stash them away in other places like with Williams. But I think ultimately Max staying with Red Bull is absolutely the best thing that could have happened for his career because he had an opportunity to compete in Formula One in 2015 when he wouldn't have if he was part of the Mercedes team. He was winning races in 2016 when Mercedes was still being piloted by Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton. I think ultimately it's the right place for him. And I, I like to draw this comparison because in North America, we talk about, you know what? This guy is an unbelievable talent. He just happened, his career just happened at the wrong time, right? Like Carl Malone just happened to be in the NBA at the wrong time because he <laughs> kept running up against Michael Jordan. And yeah. you talk about it in the NFL with all these great quarterbacks. You know what? They just kept running up against Tom Brady. And I think in a lot of ways, if not for Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen probably would have had a title or two at this point. It's just unfortunate for him and the rest of Formula One that they just ran up against this behemoth that is Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton ultimately. Well, you know, it's funny because if you look at the difference between their two respective teammates, I mean, they're both light years ahead of Valtteri Bottas and Sergio Perez. And I guess, again, this is one of these sort of intangible things that the great drivers really have that they can take a car that maybe isn't the greatest or any kind of car it doesn't matter it's a good car or a bad car somewhere in between they are absolutely able to push it right up to the edge of the envelope and beyond I mean you could probably put either one of these in a dishwasher with four wheels on it and they'd still be uh, lapping half a second off the times that they were lapping today I mean it, it is just uh, truly amazing so you know it, it's maybe I, I'm going to save that because I want you know I hinted off it off the the the, the top of the show that I want to talk a little bit more about uh, Checo Perez. I think we need to have this conversation now. But, but I'm go, cool sorry. to go there now. I, I this so this is what I, like I have my notes and for anyone watching on YouTube, I do pages of notes. I prepare for <laughs> this. This is. This is ultimately the conversation I want to have. And I retweeted something earlier today, and it was it was kind of this message about the fact that ultimately Lewis and Max are going to do everything possible to put their teams in a position to win a constructor's title. Yeah. The constructor's title isn't going to come down to Max or Lewis. It's going to come down to Sergio and Bottas. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know, maybe this is a teaser and we can go to break and we can come back to this. Or we just come back to it later in the show. But I think we need to have a conversation about Valtteri. And I think we need to equally as much or equally as importantly, have that conversation about Sergio as well. Well, let's do that. Why don't we just uh, take a little bit of an early break and then we can come back and dive into this, uh, you know, head first and just uh, really attack it. So let's do that. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back in just a moment. So don't go away. We're going to be right back. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. And I, I don't know, is it is it quite time to have an intervention with uh, with Sergio <laughs> Perez? But <laughs> Maybe it's that that's a little bit drastic. And I think obviously he knows the situation that he's in. I'm sure he's feeling the pressure both internally and ex externally from, from the team. But we're almost a quarter into the season already. I mean, uh, I'm, we're, we're four races into a 23 race season. And Sergio admittedly, you know, he, he, he says and he recognizes he can't really throw this car around that maybe he has done with cars he's had in the past and he's having some issues but 
to me, he's having way too many consistency issues. I mean, just having the car pointed the right way down the track. I mean, we saw that in qualifying on Saturday towards what was it? Uh, one, one of the, the the backside of the track, he dipped one of the, the 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 what was it? Left rear tire into the gravel, spun it around there, and then ultimately didn't qualify all that well. And again, you have that that gap. And I was thinking, even early on in the race, I mean. You just knew even after Charles passed Valtteri and that, uh, you know, in that first corner, that that wasn't going to stick. At some point during the race, uh, sooner or later, Bottas was going to get that position back from Charles. And then you would have probably Verstappen, Lewis, and Valtteri. And then several places down in the running order, you're going to have uh, Sergio Perez. And I mean, he had a good scrap with Danny Ricardo, but I was thinking, you know, if you're Christian Horner and you've got uh, your, your number one driver up there fending off two. Mercedes, do you really want your second car fighting with the McLarens? The the other scary thing too is, and I just I had to look this up. His start is effectively, and the the race order, the race classification order is a little bit different, but his start to the season isn't fundamentally different than we saw from Alexander Albon last year. We saw, I think, a 13-5 and a 4. He's a 5th place and 11th place and a 4th place. Um, And then today was... It was better. He made up three positions, but the qualifying was inexcusably bad. And there were some reports that he was under the weather. But I think one of the things that I've really come to conclude this season is historically, I just haven't given Max Verstappen enough credit for being able to compete in that car the way that he does. And we talk about the fact that, hey, you know what, the the aerodynamic conclusions and the strategy that the engineers and the aerodynamicists come to with that car is just unconventional and it's a little bit different than the rest of Formula One. But either there's something fundamentally different about that car that multiple drivers like Gasly and Elbon and Perez can't get their heads around, or it's not a great car necessarily as a package, as a refined machine. Um, but Max Verstappen is just so capable, he's taking that car to places that other drivers can't. But I think if, to your point, if I'm Christian Horner or if I'm if I'm Helmut Marko at this point, I'm a little bit confused. I'm not, I'm not even confused. I'm a little bit, frankly, concerned. And I know he's mm-hmm. put in a couple of top five finishes so far, but he hasn't shown the flashes and brilliance that I was expecting that he would be able to provide with this package ultimately. And to your point, qualifying wasn't great. He spun on the weekend. Uh, he ultimately did make up three grid places during the race, but ultimately, I don't know that this is going to be enough to help him take Red Bull to a position where they could be on the verge of a constructors championship. And again, remember, he's got a one year contract. So he's putting pressure on himself as much as the team's putting pressure on him. Yeah, but I'm yeah. also not certain that there's another race seat available for him if he doesn't return to Red Bull next season. You know, I, I've sort of tossed this one around in my mind uh, since I, I watched the race this afternoon, and th- this is the way that I see it. I mean, this is very much a car that's built to the strengths of uh, Max Verstappen, and his driving style necessarily doesn't match that of Pierre Gasly, Alex Almon, and Sergio Perez. But the difference between Sergio Perez and Pierre Gasly and Alex Albon is this is a guy that's a veteran Formula One driver. He's been in Formula One for a very, very long time, so... I'm granted that I think that there's going to be a learning curve with a guy that's been in Formula One as long as, um, I was going to say Gasly, <laughs> pardon me, as uh, Perez has, that that learning curve should be a lot shorter. And after a couple of races under his belt, he should really have this thing figured out by now. And to see that, you know, he's still not coming to terms to it. And now whether this weekend, whether his own personal health was an issue, yeah, that maybe throws a bit of variable into it, but 
still, yeah, I, I totally agree with what you say. If you're Horner or if you're Helmet Marco, I think you got to be pretty concerned because he's like, okay, this is three, four different uh, seasons on the trot. And since Danny Ricardo left, we've tried these three drivers and not one's been able to unlock the secret or, or the magic to this car. And, uh, you know, I'm worried about it. I, I completely agree. And, you know, I just brought up in the background here because I wanted a little bit a little bit of perspective on this conversation. This is Sergio Perez's 11th season in Formula One. He, mm-hmm. he raced with the Sauber powered by a Ferrari V8. He raced that one season with McLaren Mercedes when they were running the Mercedes V8. He's run a, a, a number of different Mercedes hybrid motors over the course of the last number of years and a number of different chassis as Force India and Slash Racing Point went through their kind of transitionary phase. But the point yep. being, he has... 20, 40, 60. He has 150, 160 Grand Prix of experience. This is a driver in his 30s. If 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 he can't if he can't come in and adapt to this car, there's a real problem. And to your point, I don't know what their level of tolerance is in terms of patience and ultimately we we talked a lot about the fact that winter testing was it wasn't cut short it is now strategically three days to align with the cost savings measures of the sport so we only got those three days the the race weekend started very very quickly so he didn't have a lot of experience but he does now have four grand prix and i was expecting him to be in a position where he could compete for podiums especially because if you look who's taking that third place podium with the exception of that one race where he dnf Bottas isn't putting in great races, to be totally honest. Like the, the the podiums are there for the taking. He's just got to be able to put together consistent sectors over sectors over sectors and better qualifying to put him closer to that front row so he can yeah. be fighting with Bottas. Because ultimately, if Bottas was in a position where he was fighting for a race win and you know Sergio was still falling off the podium, like I kind of get it. But Bottas isn't putting together a great season either, to be totally honest. Well, I'm yeah. I mean, if if you look at the final uh, race classification, you have Lewis out front. You have Max uh, nearly 16 seconds behind. Bottas is 26 and a half seconds uh, behind. You know that, that so it uh, it doesn't look doesn't look great on him. And I mean, he's sort of sandwiched in this sort of like no man's land. I mean, he's uh, 11 seconds uh, further behind Max, and uh, you know Charles Leclerc. I mean, he finished 54 seconds uh, behind. So I mean, there's a long way. I mean, he's obviously closer to Max, but I mean, 11 seconds back of the the next car. I mean, is is a long way. And you would expect a big gap to the Ferrari or the McLaren, but when you see like Sergio Perez, he's over a minute behind and uh, you know that that really sort of boggles my mind and I know that Barcelona isn't really the easiest place to pass but I was really quite astounded about how long he was actually stuck behind Danny Ricardo. I mean you know Ricardo of course that's just going to give him a little bit of uh, confidence I mean he's needed something I think this was finally the weekend that he needed I mean it wasn't really flashy but I mean he he qualified his teammate he finished ahead of his teammate he had that big uh, scrap with the uh, Perez and ultimately he got passed but I mean a p6 for Danny Rick I think is a is a good one but I think uh, Perez I mean he's got to be scratching his head but uh, more to your point uh, Bottas as well I mean he's just uh, almost been getting some of these uh, finishes just by default because there, there's nobody there to 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 really push. I mean, Leclerc is not going to catch him on a track like that. In Monaco, maybe. If the weather's bad and he's, you know, his car's set up better, 
Maybe, you know, but there, there's a lot of like uh, maybes in there, right? Under normal circumstances, you, you it would just it's, it's almost a given that you would expect these uh, the, these two Mercedes cars to finish in the uh, on the podium, and you, you would expect even though it's not quite as a good of a car as we've seen over the past several years, it's still good enough. And I think that, that that's what Lewis is uh, is is proving, and uh, and Bottas, yeah, it's. Uh, you know, I mean, he's doing what he needs to do, but by virtue of bringing home the points that they they want, that they 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 cherish so much for the constructors. But I don't necessarily think for a guy that's also basically um, auditioning for a race seat next year, I don't know if he's really blowing anyone away at uh, at Mercedes either. I really like that point about the fact that he's kind of in no man's land. And and I, I'd read a couple of comments earlier today about the fact that Bottas was kind of running his own race. Like he yeah, wasn't yeah. in a position where he could even fathom catching Lewis or Max. And the only time his race was really even, um, I don't know, relevant is when he held up Hamilton for a couple of seconds in the back <laughs> third of the race. Yeah. But he's also not in a position where he's being really chased by anyone like he's just it's bizarre despite the fact that he has a package a, a, a machine and a power unit that's the equivalent of hamilton and really the equivalent of max he's not in the same race as them but because his car is so much better than the rest of the championship the rest of the field he's kind of in this weird dead zone between the two drivers that are actually racing for the win and the rest of the field the one thing that I would comment on as well is I was really, really unimpressed with the way that he let uh, Charles Leclerc pass him so early in this race. That to me was was inexcusable. And I almost feel like I'm not in a position where I can recognize or praise Bottas for bringing home a podium finish. I mean, ultimately with this car, with this package, that should be taken for granted. That should be assumed. I mm-hmm. think what the classification is hiding and I think what the final times are hiding is because they're stopping for these tire changes to chase the fastest lap, we're not getting a true perspective on just how far behind the pace he actually is. And I think you can start looking at sectors and fastest laps and all those kind of pieces, but he was never in this race. Ultimately, he was never in this race whatsoever. And I think that's disappointing. And I think to your point, Mercedes is probably content because ultimately we just need as many constructors points as possible to win that championship. And if he's winning, if he's finishing on the podium, that's better than him making contact and making mistakes and DNFing and all those other kind of things. He's doing enough. But ultimately, I think Mercedes fear is that at some point, Sergio is probably going to put it together, recognize that he has a car that's the equivalent of whatever it is that Max is doing up at the front of the field. And then perhaps we're ultimately going to get this battle where it's Max and Max and Lewis competing for number one, but potentially Sergio and Bottas battling for number three, because that's where the constructors championship is going to be decided. But if I'm Red Bull, I'm pretty disappointed so far in what I've seen from Sergio, because he has a package that should be competing for a podium every single weekend. And meanwhile, if I'm Mercedes, I'm probably not disappointed, but I'm ultimately a little bit nervous. And then Bottas and Sergio Perez both have one thing in common, which is they're out of contract at the end of the season. And I think it's pretty well understood that Bottas won't be back with Mercedes. But I think in Sergio's case, it's less clear if he is absolutely fighting for his his racing life. Yeah, you know, it's funny because, I mean, there was a lot of clickbaity rumor stories out there last week that uh, Bottas is going to be, uh, you know, drop mid-season. And Toto said, you know, we're not the t- type of team to do that. But, you know, it is. Shot, he- shot, by the way, at Red Bull. Shots fired. <laughs> yeah, shots fired. Exactly. 
exactly right i mean uh, i i loved uh, that sort of like really not so subtle subtle uh, comment from total wolf but you know it is interesting too because uh, we we've talked about it uh, before you know the whole george russell situation and uh, just how he really outperformed um, valtteri bottas of course it was a, a one-off last year at sakir and then you know the, even just I, I didn't get a chance to really follow up on it but uh, even uh, total wolf was remarking this weekend about uh, you know esteban alcon i mean he's a uh, you know mercedes uh, protege as well and uh, you know talking about uh, well you know should we get involved in his plans for 2022 so you know i think that these might be strategic comments that are kind of being thrown out there because i'm leaning more to the you know to lewis stain in formula one i think he's really enjoying this scrap with max uh, verstappen at least through the first uh, four races uh, through the season and i can see this uh, going on i I could see lewis uh, you know wanting to come back for more uh knowing that uh, there's been this potentially and let's hope it continues this this epic battle between himself and max uh, verstappen and want to prolong that and get a chance to try the new formula the new cars and everything that's coming in next year but uh, like we've talked about before that mercedes at some point they have to start uh, thinking about succession planning because Lewis is not going to go on forever. And, you know, Lord knows you're not going to build uh, a winning team around a 30 plus something Valtteri Bottas as well. He's never going to be that number one driver there. So at some point they have to make that that executive decision one way or another. And I, I think obviously the first piece to, to, to fall into place will be Lewis. Yes, I'm coming back or no, I'm going to retire. Seems weird that we're even talking about this conversation because I don't feel that Lewis should be talking about retirement because he only feels like he came into Formula One like two years ago. I mean, for crying out loud, I mean, that went really, really quick. But you know what I mean, right? All joking aside, at some point, they're going to have to pull the trigger and they're going to have to make a decision to put somebody in that other car. And it just uh, the question is, whose car are they going to put him in? Lewis's old car or Bottas's old car? Absolutely. And I think the other consideration as well, ultimately, is that if Hamilton does commit to come back for one or two years, I think we really have to consider the amount of input that he gets into who his teammate is ultimately going to be. Obviously, for those of you that aren't necessarily new to the sport, which is totally okay, um, and we we love the fact that there's so many new people that are adopting this sport as a hobby and as a passion. If you look back at 2014, 15, 16, Lewis was racing with a teammate with whom he had massive friction, and it was bubbling <laughs> over the team, and it was threatening to break the Mercedes team apart and Hamilton ultimately lost the 2016 championship at the final race of the season his teammate won but his teammate then promptly retired which was I think something that probably caught all of us off guard because Nico was really about the same ages yeah Yeah, as as Hamilton but Mercedes were very strategic to bring in a driver who was perceived would potentially pose less of a risk at introducing friction into that relationship than the prior driver had. So ultimately, we talk about Bottas. Why isn't he winning races? Why isn't he an alpha? Why isn't he competing with Lewis? Why isn't he competing with Max? So ultimately, he's done enough to keep Mercedes happy, but I'm just not sure that it's enough now. But ultimately, if Hamilton comes back, I think we have to, I think we have to be conscious of the fact that he's going to have a very significant amount of input into what that decision is. And I'm not necessarily sure. And I don't know that he doesn't, but I also don't know that Lewis necessarily wants to bring in a George Russell or an Esteban Ocon who would have a very different psychological mindset and approach to the race, which would be, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to battle Lewis Hamilton. I'm going to fight him in every corner and try to win a championship. And it's not that I don't think Bottas is doing that, but I think Lewis is subconsciously in a position where he doesn't believe that Bottas can do that. So he doesn't lose any sleep over it. Whereas if you bring in a George 
George Russell and Esteban Ocon, especially a George Russell, the thought could be, oh, wow, this guy in this car probably could compete with me. And that's not something I necessarily want to deal with either. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't want that sort of... uh I don't want to say tarnish his career, but I mean, it definitely could uh, leave a bit of a blemish on it. Although is a blemish really all that much different than tarnish? But, uh, you know, <laughs> certainly you can make that comparison when or use that uh, that that uh, that that language when talking about Charles Leclerc and uh, Sebastian Vettel and their two years at uh, at Ferrari. I mean, it was obvious almost right from the beginning that uh, that very first race in Australia that that Charles had to back off because Seb was the number one. And I mean, ultimately, over time, that 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 line between number one and number two became very fuzzy and gray. And then it was just like, okay, you know, Seb is number one on paper, but Charles is obviously the faster driver. And you know, I I just don't know if uh, Lewis would really want to be in that uh, that 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 position. So I totally agree. I think that he he would really want to have a lot of uh, input into that, uh, you know, into that uh, d- decision. But you know, just going back to Bottas, you know, I, I have to give him some props because you know. He could have done the easy thing here. I mean, that one race in Russia a couple of years ago when he had to pull over and let uh, you know, let Lewis go. I think that was the same race as Toto made the infamous uh, and somewhat demeaning wingman uh, comment or ultimate wingman or perfect wingman, whatever it was. Anyways, uh, Bottas, he didn't make it easy for, for Lewis uh, today. Anyways, uh, Bottas himself had to say, quote, I definitely could have let him by earlier, but I was doing my own race as well, so I was always calculating things. I was trying to get Charles off the pit window so I could stop again and try to go for an extra point. The main thing in my mind was my own race. They told me not to hold him up too much, but like I said, I was also doing my race. I'm not here to let people by. I'm here to race, end quote. So, you know, good for him for not letting himself uh, be pushed around. And um, I do want to come back uh, and talk about this whole single lap, fastest lap thing again, because it, it came back again this week and it was a thing. And I, I think we should talk about it. And we'll do so in just a moment. So don't go away. We're going to start shutting it down. But before we do, we still got some good things to talk about. and We'll do that in just a moment. All right. Well, welcome back to the show, everybody. Mark and Mark, Daly and Hamilton breaking down all the action on the track today or yesterday, by the time you listen to this, uh, in Barcelona. And it looks so weird to see the, those stands empty one, once again. I mean, I was there, you know, several years ago, way back in, in 2014 now, but it's, uh, you know, it was packed that day when we were there. And it just, it's, it's just this weird pandemic reality that we, we live in. I mean, it's great. I mean, you're, you're, you're always focused on what's happening on the track, but when you get those shots around the the circuit you just see all those empty seats that's still something that uh, doesn't uh, you know never sits uh, quite well but you know fingers crossed uh, we'll start seeing bums in seats uh, very very soon but uh, Mark I did want to talk about the, the the fact that once again this week this single point for the fastest lap of the race came down to being a thing again and once again it it did add an element of interest an element of excitement right to, to the end of the race and honestly I, I'm glad to see it you know I, I'm you know, we, we've talked about it a couple times over the last week or so, but the fact that this is starting finally to be um, a, a, like a competition in of, a, of its own right, and it's starting to become a thing, I think is exactly why they brought it in all those years ago. And it actually does add some fun to it. I mean, you know, as very much last week, by the time that, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of scrapping over this fastest lap and that single point, the, the, the race uh, was pretty much decided at that point, barring some unexpected mechanical failure or something like that. So it was great to see once again. Yeah, I, I agree. The circumstances were unique in that, 
it created this opportunity and the opportunity was really that Mercedes and Red Bull had two very strategy, two very different strategies. I think ultimately Red Bull's hope was that, Hey, we're going to be able to take the lead early. Uh, we're going to be able to run a one-stop race and that we're going to be able to hold on to those tires until the end of the race and keep Hamilton back. Mercedes had something of a, a surprise strategy up their sleeve when they went to that two-stop strategy, but ultimately put uh, Hamilton in a position where he was able to chase Max down much more quickly than I think uh, a lot of the analysts and the strategists had possibly expected based on the state of Max's tires. And when that happened, obviously Max is now not in a position where he's going to be able to compete with Hamilton. Hamilton's just going to be able to put pile on more and more and more time. So it creates this opportunity. Well, hey, number one's already decided. Two's pretty much decided because Bottas is so far back. Let's just run, take a run at the, the fastest lap. But I think, and we've been talking about this quite a bit, and it sounds like based on some of the feedback from the listeners as well, that this is something that people actually agree with. And I apologize, mm-hmm. I don't have... Uh, the individual's name right now, but we talked about the fact that maybe it's a little bit gimmicky going back a week or two. And, and ultimately I, I, I don't hate it. I don't love it, but to your point, it absolutely does inject a little bit of excitement into the championship. And I think like we said a couple of days ago, ultimately, if the constructors of the driver's title is decided by five points, those fastest lap points absolutely make a difference and it could come down to a reality where maybe the championship is decided by ultimately the fact that hey maybe max didn't win those five races but he picked up five fastest laps and that was enough of a difference to win the championship so i think if you look at it kind of at the macro level and you look at it only at the level of the race hey it's one point it's kind of the race is decided which is why they're able to do this but i think if you extrapolate and expand that over the course of the entire championship there could be some tremendous value to it so i think i'm starting to be won over but again circumstance enabled this to happen and i would prefer though to be in a situation where the race winner isn't decided that far out i'd rather it go down to the last couple of corners and have sure. two cars fighting for that race win and so when i say circumstance enabled this it was ultimately just the fact that hamilton was the predetermined winner no one was going to catch him short of a brutal hamilton mistake so my preference would be i would just rather see two or three cars fighting down to the last lap in lieu of that i, I guess this is okay you know, it's interesting. I was just looking at the, the the fastest lap times from the Spanish Grand Prix. Seven of the 10 fastest laps were set uh, from lap 60 on. But it, where it really gets interesting is uh, Sergio Perez, he set a 119.483 on lap 60. And then on lap 65, uh, Bottas, his fastest lap was a 119.43. But Max absolutely set the bar so high that he was not going to be caught. His fastest lap on lap 62 was a 118. 0.149. I mean, that was just a, an absolutely blinding lap. But I mean, some of the the, the times. I mean, Charles Leclerc he set a, a fast a fast lap on lap 64. His was a 120.49. Pardon me, a one one twenty point four five nine. So I mean, to see where that went uh, from from there to what Max's fastest time was uh, was just, <laughs> that, that's just uh, a world of uh, difference. But hey, Mark, before we get to, to the end of the show, I think it'd be a little bit uh, you know a dereliction of duty if we just didn't mention uh, what was almost a bit of. Um, 
I don't want to say an aberration. I think it really deserves some comment as uh, Charles Leclerc's uh, P4. I mean, he was, again, kind of uh, way back there. But I mean, it was it was a good uh, result uh, for him. And he had nothing but good things to say about uh, the Ferrari, saying that the pace was standout. The car is amazing. And he said it was a superb fourth finish. And I th- I don't know if this is drastic enough to to say that this is a turning point uh, for Ferrari but at least through the first four races of the season they're they're not like this discussion that we were having a year ago that they are also rans they're just so far off the pace they're just brutal the things that we're saying are encouraging they're not uh, you know not top drawer stuff that uh, that this was wonderful this is amazing ferrari's back but i think it's just another indication that slowly very slowly but surely they're making some little baby steps that things are finally going in the right direction for them love it one of the things that we talked about during our preseason kind of prediction kind of preview show was does ferrari or has Ferrari done enough with that, the chassis and the aero and the power unit to put a little bit of a scare into McLaren? So McLaren last year wasn't necessarily a shock, but it was a really satisfying result for them to finish third in the championship. Right now, Ferrari's 11 points behind them and would probably be a little bit closer if not for that. Actually, I think it's even less than that. It's if only not five for, points. Yeah, five points. I, yeah, I'm looking at the standings after uh, Portugal. Yeah, five point difference. And it's interesting as well. I put up a tweet on our our Twitter feed. And again, if you don't follow us, follow us on Twitter. We commit to being super engaged and interactive. (laughs) We want to have a lot of fun on that medium this year because I think that's where a lot of people go for their Formula One news. But we put up a post a couple of days ago and we said, hey, Hamilton, Max, battle aside, what are the other storylines that you're interested in this year? And I said, Aston disappointment, Perez's performance, Ferrari improvement, and Lando's good start. 50% of those of you that responded said the storyline that aside from the championship battle that you're most interested in this year is Ferrari's turnaround, which speaks to just how big that that Ferrari fan base is. So we, I think, would absolutely, to your point, be neglectful if we didn't mention this. But Charles Leclerc has obviously strung together a couple of great performances a sixth place, a fourth place, a sixth place, a fourth place. Carlos Sainz, I think, is starting to become more comfortable with that car. And we talk about, you know, maybe some of Sergio's struggles is he's getting used to a new car, but Carlos is also getting used to a new car, right? Like Carlos last year was racing a Mercedes car with a Renault power unit. Now he's driving a Ferrari car with a Ferrari power unit. That's a pretty significant Pretty significant change for him, and I think he's going to start stringing together some decent performances, but ultimately, I think Ferrari's doing what they need to do this year, and they were very conservative, so if you heard from anyone, Matteo Bonato or anyone within the Ferrari organization during the offseason, they did everything possible to downplay expectations for this season, and I think typically a good executive does that, right? Like, you don't want to, you don't want to inflate your stock on Wall Street only for the reality to be different, and then you have to see news headlines talking about a 20% slump in stock price, but ultimately in Ferrari's case, they downplayed expectation. And I think they've been a really nice surprise. And I think we talk a lot about Lando and we talk a lot about Max. Um, I think we've forgotten a lot about Charles Leclerc because of how terrible Ferrari was last year. But if you go back to 2018 and you, especially 2019, we were all talking about Charles. Like he was the up and coming superstar of the yeah. sport. So it's also nice to see him quietly putting up a couple of really strong performances as well. 
Yeah, I mean, again, like some of these other battles that we, we've uh, been talking about over the pr- first couple of races of the season, I mean, this one's going to play out over the next, what, uh, we're May, so the next six months until we get to, to Abu Dhabi. But I mean, I'm just looking at the constructor's uh, standings for last year. I mean, uh, Mercedes walked away with it, of course. Uh, Red Bull was quite a ways uh, behind. So you had third place was uh, McLaren. And I thought that was one of the the really cool battles down that, that, that stretch run of 2020 was that sort of that three-headed race between Racing Point, McLaren, and Renault. Ultimately, it was uh, uh, McLaren that came out uh, third in the constructors with 202 points. Uh, Racing Point only seven points behind with 195. Renault 181. But then to go back to Ferrari, they're 70 points, odd points uh, behind. They have 131 points compared to, uh, to, to McLaren. So yeah, I mean, early days yet in 2021, there's still obviously a lot of races to be run. But I think that if uh, you're Ferrari, I think you have to be at least quietly pleased that that, that things are going well and they're going slowly in the right uh, direction. Like like you said, you don't want to overinflate uh, your, your chances or overstate them. But I think that, uh, that they should be pleased thus far and that maybe they've got a good base to maybe build on for the rest of the season. I would add only... And I, I don't want to come across as negative, especially since a lot of our listeners are absolutely Ferrari fans. A lot of those points were available early this season because Aston Martin has been a, a horror show in a lot of yeah. ways. And, and I think I tweeted as well that this was the second consecutive Grand Prix that Aston Martin hasn't scored a point, which is, which is horrendous. And as well, Alpine Renault, um, at 15 constructors points so far, isn't having a great year. And I think they were in a position, and we talked so much last week about Esteban Ocon because we mm-hmm. had that great question in in the mailbag. We talked a lot about that. Hey, he's great. And, you know, Fernando Alonso is beginning to round into form, not to sound too cliche. They qualified so well this weekend. Esteban Ocon qualified fifth. Uh, Fernando Alonso qualified 10th. And then Ocon ultimately lost four positions, finished ninth. Fernando lost seven positions and finished 17th. So I think my point is ultimately that Ferrari is doing what's available to them. They're scoring the points that are available to them. Ultimately, Aston should be a lot better than they are. Alpine should, Alpine, Alpine should be marginally better than they are, but you can't fault Ferrari. These points are available and they're cashing on those points and they're not making mistakes and they're completing races and they're not DNFing. I think those are good things because if you look back at last year, not only was the performance not there, but they were making mistakes. There were strategic mistakes. There was pit mistakes on the pit wall. There was mistakes in the box. There was mistakes on the track. Everything was just a complete mess. This year, they seem consistent. The strategy seems good. The drivers aren't making mistakes. And obviously, from a driver engagement relationship perspective, Sainz and Leclerc are getting together in a way that obviously Leclerc and Vettel didn't because that relationship had completely broken down. So kudos to Ferrari. They're scoring the points that are available to them. I just think that if Aston Martin was in a better position, I don't know that those position points would have been there, but they are and fantastic. Good job to them. Yeah, you know, we, we've talked about this in reference to, to other drivers and other teams that it's those points that you lose and hemorrhage early in the season are the ones that really come back to haunt you at the end of the year. And that's the, the, the big or the big difference that we're seeing now in the drivers um, uh, championship uh, between Lewis and, uh, and and Max is that uh, just because, uh, you know, Mercedes has been so good over the, the, the past number of years that they would literally get off to this uh, this raging start and they would be so far ahead of everyone else by 
the time everybody had figured out their cars and got them dialed in and got a couple of wins under their belt or some good results. And by that time, it was just uh, way too difficult to, to try and catch them. But, you know, good for Ferrari. They're picking up points where they need to. And that's what you have to do. You have to capitalize where your, your opponents are dropping points and making mistakes. So uh, good on them. And Mark, you know, that that's that's pretty much all I got for, for tonight. What else do we have? Uh, is there anything in the mailbag, anything you want to talk about? I know you've got your, your telephone book full of notes there, so let's hear it. Speak now or forever hold your peace, my friend. You know, maybe just one more piece, and I yeah, think go for we've it. got some great stuff we can save for Thursday's show, and we've got some great mailbag questions already building up, but I think maybe the only other observation from this race weekend was, obviously, Portimao was a, a bit of a disaster for the Williams team. This weekend turned out to be pretty strong for for the Williams team quite frankly if you look at George Russell he qualified P15 he ultimately moved up a spot to P1 or P14 uh, Nicholas Latifi didn't qualify particularly well he hooked together a couple of good sectors ultimately wasn't able to get out of Q1 but Nicholas Latifi moved up three spots in the race and finished P16 so definitely Williams best weekend of the year so far and I know we talked about this coming out of week one and week two hopefully they can build some momentum hopefully they can do something to build on this and I think Nicholas needed this from a confidence perspective based on some of the uh, experiences that he's had this year and hopefully they can inch closer and closer to scoring some constructors points because obviously as everyone knows they didn't score any last year they didn't score any before I think the last time they may have scored constructors points was when Lance Stroll was still racing for them uh, yep. and that's something that I think they're desperate and hungry to do but other than that no real other observations coming out of this race weekend other than to kind of reiterate the fact that the next couple of race weekends and if you're new to Formula One this is where it gets a little little bit exciting. Monaco's mm-hmm. a little bit unpredictable. It's ultra, ultra, ultra tight. There isn't a lot of overtaking, but if you make a mistake, you're going into a wall and you will be punished. And then likewise, yeah. Baku, we go to Baku next. It's another street course. It's it's kind of, it's similar in a lot of ways to Monaco, although not quite as picturesque. But again, there are some really tight sectors. And if you make a mistake, as we saw Charles Leclerc do a couple of years ago, you will be punished. There is no runoff. There is no sand track. You cannot recover your race. You cannot recover your qualifying session. So sometimes when we go into places like Monaco and Baku, we can see some surprising results. And I would love to see some surprising results so we can shake up this championship a little bit. Yeah, well, you know, if you look at uh, today's race, Yuki Sonoda was the only car that uh, was not classified because he had, uh, you know, that engine failure on lap six. So, I mean, as a rule, we don't see too many mechanical retirements in this uh, day and age in Formula One, but you get to some of these uh, street circuits like Monaco, like Baku, and, and Monaco can be a lottery. I mean, we've seen some very unexpected and unpredictable uh, or unpredicted winners there over the, the over the years. Because like you say, I mean, it's going to be a guarantee that we're going to have a safety car at some point. Somebody's going to go into the barrier. Somebody's going to damage bodywork. Somebody's going to damage uh, suspension or something like that. You know, the weather's been an issue there over the years. So it, it it's usually a real grind. You know, I, I have to be a, you know, completely transparent here. It's not my favorite track, but what, what it sort of lacks on that uh, perspective for me the the unpredictable nature of the race itself more than makes up for it so it it should be a good one and it could really turn things upside down i mean we we've seen some weird races there over the years and we've Absolutely. seen some weird things there too like the time danny ricardo went into the pits at red bull and they had no tires for him for for one thing <laughs> oh my goodness do you remember, and, and it's, it is interesting, last year was the first year that we haven't been to Monaco in 50 years. So I think for a lot of our, our, our listeners, this might be their first experience with Monaco. But do you remember who won the last race at Monaco in 2019? 
2019. Oh my gosh. Uh, it wasn't Charles Leclerc. That would have been his first, uh, no, it would be, yeah, it was his first race for Ferrari and his, at his home race. He would have raced there the year before for, for Sauber, but he retired in that one. Gosh, 2019. You're close. It was our good friend, Mr. Lewis Hamilton. So I was going to, I was going to say Lewis. You yeah. know, it's so funny that that can always be your fallback to any F1 related trivia. Lewis Hamilton, there's like a 37% chance you're going to be right. But ultimately Lewis uh, took qualifying. He took pole. He put in a 110, 166 when they turned up that engine for Q3. He won the race. Sebastian Vettel was second. Yeah, I think he actually moved up a spot or two, he actually moved up two spots to pass both Bottas and Verstappen. And then ultimately Charles Leclerc, to your point, his first home race in the Ferrari, he had accident damage, which, uh, prevented him from finishing the race. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just remember a real uh, sad looking Charles Leclerc in the, in the, uh, in the garage there out of the car. And he must've obviously been uh, very disappointed. And speaking of disappointed, I know everybody's going to be disappointed where we come to the part of the show where we sign off. You see how clever I was in that little segue, but uh, it is that time indeed. And thank you all again for, for downloading, listening to the show and watching on YouTube. By all means, get in touch. Let's fill the mailbag up uh, for Thursday's show. You can do so, do so, pardon me, by sending us an email at scuderiaf1pod at gmail.com or tweet us at scuderiaf1pod. And that's it. On behalf of myself and Mr. Mark Hamilton, have a great week and we'll talk to you again in a couple of days and bye for now.